All right. Well, good morning. As Brett said earlier, my name is Nick Olson, and I serve as a graduate assistant here at the university, and I am so excited to be with you this morning, and I am super excited to dive into the Word with you this morning as well. But before we get started, I just want to say thank you to the band. Also, as Brett said, I serve with these guys each and every week at church, uh, in which I have the privilege to serve alongside them every week. And I am super excited that they were able to lead us this morning. And I also don't know how many of you can say this, but Trevor, the guy playing the drums, is one of our lead pastors at the church. And so that's pretty cool uh, that your pastor plays drums and is willing to come do it uh, for you when you preach in chapel. So as we dive into the Word this morning, the first thing that I want to do is I want to take you with me on a trip down memory lane. All right, so dial in with me for the next few minutes, and we're going to take this adventure together. I want you to go back in your mind and in your memories with me to the year 2017. All right, in May of 2017, I was graduating high school. Right, that was almost five years ago. Uh, and my parents over here to the left, uh, God bless them, uh, we somehow made it to the age of 23, and five years ago I graduated from high school. And for my graduation, my aunt wanted to take me on a trip. Okay, and of course, I'm getting out of high school, and I'm like, well, duh, I want to go on a trip. Like, I just made it through high school. Do you know how hard that is? Like, I did that, and then she was my teacher, and so not only was I celebrating being done with school, but she was celebrating being done having to teach me in school, and so this was a double whammy, win-win trip that we were going to go on, okay? And so in January of 2017, we embarked on a journey to Tampa, Florida, we stayed in Tampa for a couple days doing the touristy things, right? We looked at the sites, we tried the local food, and we just drove around the town trying to uh, get our bearings and also spend some time locally doing the things that we wanted to do before what we really wanted to do came. And so finally, we get up early one morning, and the day that we were awaiting for finally came. What we were waiting so long for was going to only be a few short hours away. And so we drove into downtown Tampa. There were thousands of other people that were also going to see the same thing that we were going to see. And they were all waiting for the same thing, right? This was going to be the memory of a lifetime. And so we showed up early to our seats. All right, we get there early. We're going to the concession stand. I'm getting a hot dog. She's getting a drink. We're having a great time. We go all the way up to the nosebleed section. And after about three hours and 59 minutes of a roller coaster of emotions... Deshaun Watson throws the game-winning touchdown to Hunter Renfro on a totally legal rub play in the end zone, all right? And so what happened after this is that the Clemson Tigers football team was going to reign supreme over the college football world. And all the Gamecock fans in here are disappointed, but that's okay. The joy in those few moments that I experienced and that everybody else that was in orange that day experienced was something incredible, right? I've never hugged so many random people in my life. Like, I'm literally like turning around and I'm like, I love you, man. I just, I love you. And it's like these people, I don't even know who they are. Hope they're still doing well, I guess. Um, <laughs> and like, this is the dream of every college football fan and player, right? To experience their team win the national championship game on a last second play. Like, could you just imagine a more surreal moment? Like, this was the pinnacle of the mountaintop. But here's how that story ended. We went back to the hotel. We went to sleep. We get up the next day, and we headed back home to South Carolina. And it's like, you still, you know, like, 
I can't believe we just did that. That's the first time we've won the national championship in like 36 years. It's incredible. And I was there to see it. But then the next day came, and then the next day came, and then a month went by, and then a year. And now here we are, me standing before you five years later after this event. And my life looks no different because of it. Everything that I experienced in that moment, yes, it was good, and I had a good memory, and it's a memory of a lifetime, and I'm so thankful that I got the opportunity to do that. But at the end of the day, my life looks no different because of it. Nothing I have done to get here before you this morning, the opportunities I've had in this life have not come from me going to that game. Something that I thought would be the pinnacle experience is now just a distant memory. It's not tangible. I can't relive it. And I will never experience that exact same joy again. It was here, and then it was gone. Have you ever experienced something, something similar to this? Where have you ever done something or, or had something that you just thought was it? You thought it was going to be the best thing since sliced bread. It was the moment. It was the pinnacle. It was the stuff dreams were made out of. But then the time came and the moment passed. You realize that it really didn't do that much for you. And like I said, sure, you maybe got a good memory out of it. And maybe you learned something along the way. But in the grand scheme of things, this came and it went. And this morning, I want to share something with you that is the most permanent, life-altering truth with which you must come to terms. Before we do that... I'm going to pray for us and ask the Lord to continue to bless our time this morning. So if you would bow with me, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, just for, Father, the opportunity just to dive into your word. Father, as we study Christ, Father, I am so undeserving. Father, I'm so unqualified to do the task set before me this morning. And Father, I just ask for the work of the Spirit you will give me the strength, Father, give me the boldness to proclaim Christ and him crucified. Father, ultimately this morning you will be glorified in everything that I say, everything I do. Father, that my words are not mine, but they are yours. And Father, this morning people's lives will be changed because they have encountered the risen Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen. All right. So this morning we're going to be in Colossians 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there. But before we dive into the text together, I want to outline some of the context of the passage. And some of you guys are probably like, man, I get this three days a week in New Testament, like I'm done, I don't want it, and I get it, okay, I get it, I was there, I understand. But what I'm going to talk about this morning fits so well within the context that it's, it's important to know the purpose of why this book was written. And so the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the city of Colossae between the years of 60 and 62 A.D., all right? And the reason that that's important is because this wasn't written, Colossians wasn't written 100 years after the resurrection of Christ. This wasn't written centuries after the life of Christ. There were people living during this time when Paul wrote this letter that would have seen the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior when Paul wrote this book, all right? So this is like happening at the same time people are living who have seen Christ crucified, resurrected, and ascended, and at the same time, these people are being written to by Paul, right? And so what Paul talks about in this passage is super important to us today if Paul thought it was important enough to write to them after they had seen Christ, all right? We tracking? We following? 
And so what Paul sets out to do here is combat a false teaching uh, that was present in Colossae where the deity of Christ was being denied and the sufficiency of his death on the cross was being challenged. And so what these false teachers were doing were essentially saying, Jesus plus something is how I get salvation. All right? Jesus is not just the it. He's not the end all be all. He is plus something else. And what Paul sets out to do is combat this false teaching and strengthen the faith of the Colossian Christians. In this book, if you look at it, it's rather small. It is 95 verses and is contained within only four chapters, yet there is one point that is prominent throughout the entire text, and it is this. It is the supremacy of Christ. Right? The supremacy of Christ. And I want to do a little exercise with it this morning because it's going to make me feel a lot better about how this is going to go. And so we're going to say that together. All right? The purpose of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Right? Here we go. One time together. The purpose of Colossians is the Perfect. All right, now you can go to your New Testament class, tell your professor you know the context and the purpose of Colossians, and maybe, maybe you might get extra credit. All right? But what I'm going to do for us this morning is I'm going to read a large chunk of Colossians 1, but a majority of my focus within this chapter is going to be placed on two verses. All right? And I'm going to go ahead and give a little disclaimer. I'm not going to sit here and read this text and go verse for verse and, and sentence by sentence. I'm not going to use the term here. I'm going to say exposit. I'm not going to exposit this text in the sense of the word. But what I'm going to do is just flesh out two verses out of this entire passage. And we're just going to deal with it. All right? But if you will, turn with me. Colossians 1, verse 15. We're going to dive into the word together. And if you're ready to do that, somebody shout amen. amen. All right, here we go. Verse 15. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Verse 19. For God, that is God the Father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, which is the Son. 20. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21. Three more to go. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. All right, everybody take a deep breath. All right, we read nine verses there. That's a huge chunk, all right? I thank you for pressing in and, and reading that with me. There's so much in this passage, 15 through 23, that just details the person and work of Christ. A specific section in this uh, portion, verses 15 through 20, is commonly referred to by scholars as the Christ hymn, which means that this was some sort of song that the early church would have sung about Christ. Now, we don't know if this was a word-for-word -word quotation of the hymn. It most likely was not. Uh, but the point still remains that this is a declaration of Christ's deity and his 
supremacy. So where I really want us to camp out this morning out of this chunk are verses 17 and 18. All right, if you'll look back at those verses with me. Verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to trace out and parse out what that means, to have first place in everything. All right, so press in with me, all right? To have first place in everything, that means he is preeminent, right? That means he is top. He is the greatest. There is nothing above him. There is nothing before him. There is nothing else to gain. There's nothing else to get. Christ is simply supreme over everything, and he is supreme in everything. And that's what Paul is trying to get at. That's how he's trying to strengthen the faith of these Colossian believers, And so let's trace that out. What is Christ supreme in? All right, here we go. We're going to deal with this. Christ is supreme over everything and in everything. He is supreme in his deity, that he is equal with God the Father in all of his attributes, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. He is supreme in his eternality, that Christ never had a beginning. He has no beginning of days. He has no end of life. He is simply just there. He exists, all right? From beginning to end, alpha, omega, he is just there. He is supreme in his eternality. He is supreme in his constancy, that he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's steadfast in his attributes and virtues and character and commitments. He is supreme in his knowledge that even the 2.6 million libraries in the world could not begin to contain the knowledge that he has. He is supreme in his wisdom. He's never been perplexed by any problem, and he can never be counseled by the wisest of men, and nobody can ever question him, saying, what have you done? He is supreme in his authority, that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that he's carved out the canyons with his hands. He tells the ocean where to stop, and it goes no further. He builds the mountains, and he sets the stars, planets, and moons in their orbits Above, He sets up kings and he removes kings and he changes times and seasons. Nothing can challenge his authority. He is supreme in his providence. How sweet to know that he clothes the lilies of the valley and causes the wildflowers to grow. And not one bird in the remotest part of the Amazon forest falls to the ground. And not one hair turns white or black without his consent. He is supreme in his providence. Or he is supreme in his word, that the universe came into existence by his word, and the universe is upheld by his word, including the molecules and atomic realities and even subatomic realities that Ant-Man gets stuck in. He is supreme even over those. He's supreme in his power, that he walks on water and he causes storms to cease. He cleanses lepers, heals the lame, opens the eyes of the blind, causes the deaf to hear, and raises the dead back to life. He's supreme in his purity that he never sinned. He never sinned. Throughout eternity and during the years on this earth when he lived in flesh, he never had an evil thought. He never lusted. He never lied. He never cheated. He never stole. And the list can go on and on and on. What would it be like to not sin? We have no idea. But Christ has done it for an eternity. And he will continue to do it. He is supreme 
in his trustworthiness, that nothing he says will return void and he will never break a promise that he makes. He is supreme in his patience. He continues to raise the sun each morning on a world that hates him so much. And he stands day after day, one hand calling us type sinners to repent and believe the gospel while he holds back his judgment with the other. But one day is coming where he will soon drop both hands. And when he does, he will be supreme in his justice. It will be final and authoritative, settled either on the cross or in hell. And no injustice will remain when Christ executes and finishes his supreme justice. There's hope in that. When you look at the world and you're like, what is going on in the world today? So many justice, injustice surround me. I think of Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk complains to God and is like, injustice surrounds me. I'm surrounded by sinners. God, why don't you do something? And God's like, just wait. It's coming. <clears throat> He's supreme in his justice. He is supreme in his obedience. He kept the entirety of the law. And all of the Father's commandments perfectly. And then embraced with total willingness beatings in the streets. 39 whips. A half mile uphill walk carrying a cross. Two spikes driven in his wrists. And one spike driven through his feet. And after all that embraces the fullness of God's wrath. For those who would come to faith in him. He is supreme in his obedience. He is supreme in his meekness and his tenderness. He's supreme in his gentleness and his lowliness, that he weeps with those who weeps. And he will never break a bruised, weed, uh, a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. He is supreme in his love, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ dies for the ungodly. And he frees those who believe in him from the curse of sin. He's supreme in his love. He's supreme in his joy. That within the fellowship of the Trinity, there is an overflowing eternal gladness that then spills over into the creation of a universe and will one day be the inheritance of every struggling believer in this life, regardless of what you face. There is hope because he is supreme in his joy. If there is anything that is worthy of worship, if there is anything admirable, if there is anything commendable, it is summed up supremely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As Abraham Kuyper famously once said, there is not one square inch in the entirety of human existence over which the risen Christ does not shout, mine. It is all his. He rules over it. He is supreme over it, over the galaxies and the endless expanses of space. He is supreme over the earth from the peak of Mount Everest set 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Mariana Trench 36,000 feet down. He is supreme over all plants and animals, from the 200-ton peaceful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses, including COVID-19. He is supreme over all weather, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and floods. He is supreme over all medical practices and the hundreds of thousands of healing drugs and antibiotics that we have today. He is supreme over biology and sexuality and gender and ethnicities. He is supreme over all countries, militaries, and governments, including Russia, China, and North Korea. He is supreme over Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, Kim Jong-un, and Vladimir Putin. He is supreme over President Biden and Vice President Harris. 
He is supreme over all politics and elections and NATO and decisions about war crimes in Ukraine. He is supreme over CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all other news outlets. He is supreme over all entertainment, sports, and leisure. He is supreme over all academics, education, and universities, no matter what they teach. He is supreme over Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, business, manufacturing, and transportation. He is supreme over Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and, yes, yik yak. He is supreme <laughs> over Google and everything on the internet. And he is supreme over your life, regardless if you acknowledge it or not. That is what it means to hold first place in everything. In everything. And I plead with you this morning. I plead with you. If you do not know this Christ, the one for whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, give yourself to him. He will never disappoint you. Because of his supremacy in all things, he will always and forever be sufficient for you in everything. <clears throat> I don't know what you came in here with this morning. Maybe it's uncertainty about next steps. Maybe it's what you're going to do for college or after college, what you're going to do post-grad, what you're going to do for the summer. Maybe you're having issues at home. Maybe you have relationship struggles. Maybe you're just trying to get by. Whatever it is you came in here with this morning, Christ is sufficient for you. From stage four cancer and terminal illness to a life of great health. From loneliness, suicidal thoughts, and isolation to the life that you've always dreamed about having. He is sufficient because he is supreme over everything. On uh, January 21st, January 21st of this year, my grandmother, she passed away, and uh, she had pretty much been in the hospital since Christmas. Gosh, this is hard. And uh, we went to go see her on Christmas Day, and uh, all I could think about, all I could think about when we were in the room was just the reality of death, all right? It is real. It is coming. Joshua preached about this a couple weeks ago. It is coming. It is appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. That's a promise. Seeing my grandmother there, laying in the bed, it was like running into a brick wall. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. The night before she passed, January 20th, she was transferred from the hospital uh, to hospice. She was totally unresponsive. She was 100% on a breathing machine. All right? Not there. And uh, we go to hospice, and we all walk in the room together, me and my family. And, I mean, it's just, it's weighty. It's tough. And uh, we all walk in there, and uh, we see my grandmother there. Uh, she functioned as pretty much my third pa parent for a majority of my life. And... Uh, there she is, on the bed, unresponsive, 100% on a breathing machine. And uh, we all just stood around the room. I mean, I don't know what else you do in this situation. Like, you, it's just silent. The only sound in there is the sound of the breathing machine. It's that quiet. 
and uh, the weightiness was just crushing. I mean, it was just unbearable. And uh, my grandfather, who uh, I have not seen cry one time in my entire life, he begins to weep, just weep next to the lifeless body of his wife of 62 years. And he just looks up at the family. He looks up at all of us in the room. And he says, through unbearable pain and tears and the unimaginable heartbreak of losing your wife of 62 years, he looks at us and he says, let's sing, great is thy faithful. And then he proceeds to sing these words. I won't do it for you because I can't. But he's saying these words. He said, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. And that is what it looks like for Christ to reign supreme in your life. He's not just supreme over your life. He already is. That is what it looks like for him to be supreme in your life. That no matter what unbearable pain and unimaginable heartbreak you experience, Christ is enough. And he is enough because he is supreme over everything. And I plead with you this morning that if you do not know Christ in this way, I beg you, I beg you, give yourself to him. His grace is supreme and it gives life to spiritually dead rebels and it justifies the ungodly with his own supreme righteousness that you could never earn. And I beg you to know this Christ this morning because he is it. He is the pinnacle there is nothing else better. Give yourself to him. Repent and turn away from the sin that prevents you from seeing him in his fullness and in his glory. And embrace his supremacy in your life. But I need you to understand something. That if you choose to do that, following Christ is not easy for you to do. It is not always perfect. It is not going to make you healthy or wealthy. But what it does mean is this. Because of Christ's supreme rule over all things, he is sufficient for you in everything. It's not about getting taken out of a situation because he is supreme. It is about enduring it through because he is sufficient. It's not about removing yourself from something. It's about embracing Christ in it. And I plead with you this morning that you will trust him. It's not always going to be easy to trust him. Of course not. We're all finite humans. We fail every day. But I can assure you that you can go to bed tonight knowing that he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He is active in his supreme rule day by day, hour by hour, second by second, he upholds all things in this universe, second by second, including you. Including you. Give yourself to him. And if you are a Christian in here this morning, I challenge you in a similar way. Do you know Christ in his supreme rule?
Do you completely trust in his supremacy? And do you hold everything in your life with open hands, knowing that the Lord will always care for you because he clothes the lilies of the valley and he causes the wildflowers to grow? He will care for you, but do you know it? Do you trust it? Do you rest in his sufficiency for you? Don't neglect him. Daily commune with him. Study him. Learn about him and trust him. Regardless of where you are this morning, give this supreme Christ everything. Because it is his already. And he will supply your every need. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, Lord, just for your word. Father, I thank you for the supreme word who is Christ who came and dwelt among us type sinners so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. Father, help us to know this Christ who reigns supremely on his throne. Help us to live in a manner that is worthy to follow him. Open our eyes to areas in our lives in which we do not acknowledge Christ's supremacy. And Father, I ask this morning, Father, you will save somebody And place them, take them out of the domain of darkness. And place them into the kingdom of light of which this supreme Christ is king. I love you, Lord. You are so good to me when I don't deserve it. Thank you for your son. And it is his name that we pray these things. Amen. You guys are dismissed.